0: enigmatic and pathological that evidence the fallibility of the senses. Meanwhile, various Amerindians, circumpolar, and so- Southeast Asian peoples have regarded hallucinations as powerful means of perceptual access to reality. Amongst lowland South American peoples, there are some medical specialists, referred to as cinchis, payes, curacas, curanderos, neles, vejiques, well, the list goes on and on, or shamans, To employ visions in order to interact with pathogenic agents, diagnose and treat infectious diseases, and assess the status of crop, plagues, and wildlife resources. Amongst the Colombian Ningano, a Quechua-speaking group on the Amazonian foothills of the Andes, visions are are known as muscuyo cupcina. This literally translates something like deep vision, Um, and is very closely related to dreams, because actually... Um, both things are considered to be means of accessing a deeper reality, a more fundamental reality. Kind of looking to the inside world would be another way of translating this. Musku is a capacity facilitated by strong corn beer and by brews of Yahé. Um, actually, they call it wask over there. By instruments like wairawawa, which is kind of a crystal, Sacha which are fans made of of bundles of of leaves. This is one of them with a rattle. Mm. And um, by the smoke of tobacco, dense smoke of tobacco, or nowadays that it's not so uh, welcome, uh, baby powder. So baby powder has come to replace that. And also lights. So you can have either torches in some places covered with resin, In other places, it's more the absence of light and the light filtering through the slits between the walls. And these spaces in which these ceremonies take place um, are usually or dark or illuminated with a torch, heavily uh, imbued with all sorts of of, uh, heavy fragrances. And um, then then you get the the curacas, who are very interesting people, but they move a lot. Um, so for example, William, whom, from whom you only see the, the hand, he's actually coming from Putumayo, but he, he's living in Leticia because it's better business. Um, and he's married to Awitoto, which is another. So there's a lot of, of movement. And that's sort of traditional of, of shamans as well. This implies the mesmerizing notion of seeing within the body and engaging with anima waira, sacha waira, which are masters of game. So it's a similar word to the fan, but not the same. And cuckoo, which are other disease-causing spirits or demons. In in gano-shamanism, yahe is consumed not only by kurakas, the healers or shamans, but also by patients. An interaction with the spirits is part of a therapeutic catharsis. The visions experienced through this process have been illustrated through the work of world renowned Gano artist Carlos Hakanami Hoy. Son of our respected curaca, much of Hakanami Hoy's work is based on his personal interaction with the However, he does not claim to be a shaman. Hakanami Hoy struggled to be considered as an artist independently of his ethnic background while simultaneously attempting to preserve and foster his cultural heritage the result of this position and contradictory trends is a rich artistic language. So he's very recognized in Colombia. And in this particular case, you have Navigación Interna. So the themes he's speaking are often related with Yahé, despite that. But the language he's choosing is, is an abstract language. So he's not uh, putting figurative images like... You would find, for example, in Pablo, um, in Pablo Amaringo, uh, in which you will see the curanderos. Over here, this is not a very good picture. Uh, many of, of the, the paths, which in the other weren't very clear, become serpents. Other become birds, and all this is uh, reflecting a mythology. In the case of of uh, Hakane Mihoy, or, well, um, also Rembert um, Jawacani. This is another Peruvian artist. And you see also the person constituted by, by many different things. And you see some structural resemblances. So you see some, some things that repeat are repeated between uh, the different artists, And in the same artists, you are going to find them over and over again. But the treatment is very different. So in in ones, they become very figurative, and others are very abstract. Now, what I I will argue is that Hui portrays the worlds of Yahe beautifully, yes, but moreover, with great realism. I will try to argue that actually, this former picture of here is not an abstract painting, but a figurative painting of what he's perceiving. And for me, it was very valuable as, as such, because as a figurative painting, I could apply certain perspectival rules to understand it, or to try to understand it. Well, let's take a, a slight detour. Um, American ontologies, like those of the Ingano, the Tucano, the Wittoto, the Yanomami, the Embera, and the Kuna, consider the world to have many a many-layered nature. Beneath the walking world, there is, often invisible to our senses, a world of entities which, following Christian missionary translations, have been denominated as souls or spirits. These entities are often described as images or shadows of being. A myriad bodies with intentionality and personhood which mirror and holographically constitute our beings and walking reality. These entities, uh, perhaps this one is better to show them, these entities dwell in and around us, in rocks, in streams, in clouds, and in plants, animals, and humans. As groups like the Tucano would phrase it, we are a forest within. This is a very powerful image. Um, I think. Raichel Dormatov used it in one of his books. <coughs> Humans, um, like other animals, are constituted by a multiplicity of these entities, which collaborate and predate upon each other, giving rise to diseases. Some of these entities are regarded as ancestors of, or masters of game. They relate specifically to some species and places, own them, and protect them through disease through particular diseases. This is also important. Human transgressions against masters of game, such as hunting their protégé animals or intruding into their sacred sites, are regarded as the cause of epidemics. And epidemics is the literal word that has been used for that. Now, Western Western pharmaceutical industry has long acknowledged the value of many of the treatments derived from South American shamanism. Paradoxically, the epistemologies and ontologies of shamanism have been largely disdained. Following Christian missionary translations, entities like Waira and Cuckoo have been associated with souls, spirits, and demons. Lowland South American ontologies were dismissed under the rubric of animism, a naive philosophic model of nature involving the belief in spiritual beings that animate the world, providing an illusory ultimate causation for phenomena beyond the control of animists, the association of shamanic entities with the Christian notions of souls and spirits introduced by missionaries has long been recognized as spurious and problematic. Unlike our modern understanding of the Christian counterparts, the souls and spirits of these animists are corporeal entities, often located in specific parts of the, human, of the body, frequently related with plants and animals, and cause particular diseases. So I'm reiterating a little bit. Um, but you see, basically, none of these notions are in 19th century understanding of souls or spirits. In the 19th century, you pretty much ask anybody, and a spirit should be something like... The Phantom of Paskerville or I don't know, something like that it should be a it should be a disembodied entity um, and it's particularly something in which you do not believe um, now, why do we continue to use this translation it baffles me a little bit and troubles me deeply <coughs> if you went. Four centuries before, it would have been different because, in that moment, souls and spirits did have uh, a function in natural philosophy. So you would see them in the understanding of how the heart worked. Uh, they were corporeal. So, four centuries before, it was powerful. It was it was what credited uh, Amerindian peoples as human. But. Too much had passed, and the notion just got, I don't know, weak. Despite acknowledging the deficiency deficiency of this translation, anthropology continued to assume that animism was based on a failed epistemology. Shamanic knowledge and its practices were dismissed as delusion or self-delusion, and this continues even in 2000. Although to, to be kind of fair, um, that will happen also in some of the communities. And and many of the people in the communities will tell you, well, be careful. This is a wise guy in many ways. So he is wise, but he's also wise. So watch your wallet, things like that. Um, In a more subtle manner, symbolic anthropology interprets Waira, Kuku, and like entities a sophisticated metaphoric constructs. Now, this was good because it's acknowledging that that these are complex entities or complex constructions. Representing human society, which shamans manipulate to operate over social relations, psychoanalyzing their patients. But still, it's problematic because it's not real. Um, so it's, it's just saying it's a structure and it's very interesting, but we can pass it over. Now, however, anthropology is evaluating animism, at least some authors, taking non-human sociality sh- seriously and gaining profound insights into how shamanic practices pragmatically engage with the environment. Highly pragmatic people engage in shamanic practices and require their effectiveness. Hence, they are better understood as environmental intervention techniques based on a, an effective on effective relational epistemologies constituting ecological relations which are in themselves social. I think the same applies for medical treatments. The, effectmi- uh, the effectiveness <coughs> of most medical treatments requires the confidence of the patient and indeed like other me- medical specialists shamans employ subtle means of delusion to acquire power over their patients and treat multiple illnesses through psychoanalytic and, or psychotherapeutic means. However, the, conf- the confidence of patients also depends on the treatment effectiveness and therefore on the ability to diagnose. Delusion and psychological manipulation do not explain the phenomena experienced by shamans or their patients, nor do they ascertain the relevant knowledge derived from this phenomena, thereby these theories fail to address how shamanic cures or wildlife management practices could be operational. Moreover, as in other shamanic contexts, in uh, lowland South America, pathogenic masters of game are perceived rather than conceptualized. So this is one of the problems of, of symbolic anthropology. If you are perceiving it's not the same as if you are conceptualizing two different issues. And they are perceived not only by shamans, but by feverish patients, hunters, children and outsiders in the community. Although such experiences by these people could ground concerns about the fallibility of the senses, animists value the reality of these experiences and correlate the perceptual capabilities of shamans with a better better vision vision that, rather than fooling them, affords them a deeper perspective into reality. So for instance, um, the Tucano correlates the achievement of a shaman with the degree of detail of his observations, and this with the amount of yahe he is able to drink. Now the question is, is uh, if Asdengano and other animists ask from us, we take seriously that what they are seeing, perceiving, or perceiving by other means, are not just symbolic constructs. And this is a reiterated request. But real entities, real like a jaguar is real, which is not limited to what biologists might say about it, what could they be perceiving? How could they see within? Why is detail important? And how does this relate to disease, to the behavior of wildlife, and to plagues of crops now, Holbrecht, following Viveiros de Castro and Vilasa, Holbrecht et al, um, uh, argued that answering these questions calls for a decolonization of thought, which explores non-biological conceptions of the body and the environment. Following this path, anthropology has enthusiastically assumed that such realities are necessarily uncommensurable with those portrayed by natural sciences. This path, however, is highly problematic because incommensurable realities are easily neglected, dismissed, or ignored by colonizers, miners, uh, government officials, and other agents of modernity. Moreover, the proposed decolonization of thought seems unsatisfactory, because it assumes that natural sciences are monolithic, neglects the influence of non-Western knowledge on their constitution, and what might be worse, frequently subsumes Amerindian ontologies to those of European theology and humanism. I will contend that decolonizing thought should also involve reclaiming it, recognizing how natural sciences are also rooted beyond the West, and how, ca- how they can also allow us to explore and to acknowledge the weight of non-Western ontologies. I will try to demonstrate one way of doing this, by exploring some of the insights and the blind spots of some naturalistic explanations to shamanic visions and the potential to build commensurability drawing further from these explanations. Um, The discourses of of the anthropology of religion and symbolic anthropology about shamanism have had a complementary naturalistic explanation that has focused on the physiological effects of the substances employed by some lowland South American and Central American shamanic traditions. Several of these substances contain serotonin analogs or serotonin block blocker inhibitor inhibitors. Serotonin is a neurotransmitter involved in the regulation of personality, mood, learning, wakefulness, amongst numerous other neuroendocrine processes. Serotonin analogs imitate the action of, of serotonin, so they produce something like serotonin, um, while um, MAO inhibitors, um, potentiate the effects of <coughs> these substances just by eliminating what inhibits them. So it's like a double inhibition, just halt the regulation. More or less articulated with this idea that, that the, these substances are affecting the brain, are creating a, a short circuit, uh, there was an explanation that, well, actually, various times. So Reichel for Dolmatov, for example, he quotes some people referring to phosphines. Uh, then Lewis Williams comes up again with the same subject. He adopts the, thing, the term uh, entoptic phenomena, but really doesn't dig into what entoptic phenomena are or how they are understood. He just basically structures it along with, with the understanding of of the phenomena by, um, I don't know, a short circuit, and so these are some of the of the experiences uh, that he is describing that are similar. So these are some phenomena he describes as syntoptic. and indeed they are. But basically, he argues this is this is happening because of a short circuit, and it's interesting because if we if we trace the short circuit, we might learn something about the brain. Um, and then the argument against that is, well, there are many, so many different substances and so many different contexts and so many different, uh, also, experiences. How, how do you group that together? And I will argue that, that yes, it's, it's a problem, but it's not that deep. Actually, the, the problem is more the short circuit. <coughs> Um, now on the pharmacological level the issue of the origin of hallucinations or phosphenes does not find an easy explanation, the mechanisms whereby serotonergic hallucinogenics induce perceptual distortions remains to be elucidated and that's what you you will get in pretty much research serotonin and its agonists act at multiple levels of the brain but precisely not at the visual cortex, so what are they acting? They are, they are acting at the prefrontal cortex, which regulates personality, attention, memory, learning, and sociability. And on the brainstem, serotonin and its agonists also block the spontaneous activity of the locus ceruleus, which regulates stress responses and stimulates an increased sensitivity to external stimuli, inducing an attentive walking state in which external stimuli come to be regarded as novel and relevant. So it doesn't quite match with with the idea of a short circuit there or somewhere. Basically what we have is someone who is paying more attention, uh, who hasn't got much internal activity, and basically is learning a lot and suffering a lot through the process. And you can relate to that if you've kind of done that or done the, the no-shirt trips. Pretty much the same result. I'm going to jump and put another thing on the on the pad. And this is this is a view of your retina. Your basically the layer of your eye that sees. And what is interesting about the retina is that basically it's backwards. It's the most Badly designed, if it was designed, um, optical mechanism you could possibly design, and that that has been kind of uh, one of the main things of of uh, uh, biology. Kind of this wasn't designed, this is why, and I agree it wasn't designed, but still it troubles me that it doesn't get fixed, because if it's so bad, why doesn't evolution cut it, cut it away? Okay, so what what are you seeing? So basically, um, these are your your optical cells, your your photoreceptors, and from there up there is coming the light. And the thing is that the light has to go through all these different layers and get blurred in the in the process for you to see anything. It's like if you put all the wires in front of your camera when you're trying to take a nice picture? Well, you're get, going to get a very nice picture of wires, but not a very nice picture of whatever it is you're trying to photograph. To make matter, matters worse, in in many mammals, in particular in those that are active in the day and in the night to some degree, like us, uh, most of the primates, horses, well, a lot, a lot of mammals, you have something additional, and it's that beside the, the neuronal networks that are over here you also get veins and capillaries and a lot of activity going through the eye basically you get white blood cells and you get all sorts of, of nice things and how how did we get into that well basically if you go deeper into the notion of entoptics you come across uh, drawings drawing by, by this, this guy, who's called Purkini. And Purkini was a, a physiologist, a very interesting character. Um, and basically, what, what he did for his doctoral dissertation was to play with lights. And through this playing with lights, he was able to draw detailed maps of his retinal network, which since has been called Purkini's tree. It's basically, it looks like a tree. Um, he also recorded, so for example, white blood cells. Uh, well, He recorded a lot of different phenomena. And these are early entoptics. So basically, what what he described was the retina. And at the beginning, they didn't know quite, well, how was it that that he could see it, but, but he could see it clearly. So they grant him his his PhD. Um, well, afterwards, he designed an apparatus that cut little slices from things. And he was able to demonstrate with proof in hand that actually the retina was organized in the way he he was thinking it was organized. But what what is interesting is that what he's describing are actually microscopic objects. And this is another way of looking at entoptics, which is very different from the idea of a short short circuit. So instead of looking at at something that is not there, you might be looking at yourself, which is a strange notion. So you might be looking at your, your cells going from one place to another. And I don't know if it has happened ever to you, perhaps when you are distracted or just looking at the sky. When I started going into this, I, I just would see it everywhere, and you see white blobs, dots coming up and there. And don't get scared if you get it this week. <laughs> Sometimes it happens. It's a nice experience. Also, I started doing some experiments, shotting, trying to shot all, all light in the night. It's very difficult, but surprisingly, you see a lot. It's it's incredible the amount of things that you can perceive, even though you're not supposed to be seeing anything. And this is being used in in medicine. Um, so, for example, for the treatment for the, assessing the the degree of di- diabetes. Um, because the retina is so densely irrigated, basically everything comes through there. And when you've got problems of irrigation, the first place affected is the retina. When you've got uh, um, a systemic infection, the retina is there. Um, so basically these are, these are maps, and these are done from, from within and from without. From without, they are done with a don't remember the name, but basically it's an optical apparatus that takes a picture of your eyes from from without. And the other one is drawing the same map as a subjective phenomenon. And what is interesting is that you get more accurate and more detailed depictions subjectively than objectively. So, at, at some point I was basically mixing things. And I was starting to wonder, OK, could it be that perhaps these are, these that Hakanami Hoi is painting and that are coming forth in Shamanism as important images, might these be uh, entoptics in this sense? So basically, I I tried to go about it. and. It, it wasn't that that difficult, uh, basically because of of the properties of of light. When you have a shadow, um, the shadow is going to be clear at some what, the nearer you get to the surface in which the shadow is projected. So you can, if you know the the size of the of the source light, if you know the distances, you can calculate. Um, Pretty much where and what is the <laughs> size of the object. So, certain things it wasn't so easy because I didn't know the precise distance at which, for example, the painter was painting. Um, but still, you could calculate, you could estimate certain things. Like, you could say, okay, if you get an image like that up, up there, where you get a halo in the middle, which is lighter, and uh, a light shadow and that grows continuously, then you you have a pretty nice idea that that might be. um, And if you've got, in the middle, a dense shadow, and if you, closer to the thing, have a very dark shadow with a a halo around, a gray halo around, then you have certain characteristics of the image which you can compare and and see whether it works. So I went to analyze Hakanam Hoy's internal navigation. And basically, it came up pretty much with, with what I was expecting. Basically, you get um, the dots, the smaller they are, the clearer, the more defined they are. As they become bigger and bigger and bigger, they become more um, translucent and also more, more diffuse. <coughs> And you start seeing things beyond. And this also happens for this other, which are kind of straight lines. You also get a middle. So I would dare say that what is going here is a capillary. These are very likely to be capillaries. And these might be white blood cells or cells of some kind. This one was very interesting. So that was the kind of analysis I was I was making. So what what could be seen? What could we see? So to what to what degree? To a certain point I knew that, that you could see white blood cells and those are between six microns, which is very small, and fifteen microbes. Mi- microns, but still that's bigger than than most bacteria, for example, uh, even more, most uh, microsovaries. So I wanted to calculate how much far you could go. So I started to work with, um, with distance, because basically it's, it's equivalent to the distance you are seeing within, it's equivalent to the distance you see without. And at the end, what I could come up with was basically, yes, you can see microbes, you can see, uh, if you have a, a bacterial infection, it's going to pop. And it's precisely the place in which you are <coughs> going to get systemic infections. So if you have a person who is claiming to be um, particularly receptive, um, open, porous, because that's one of the claims of, of shamans, if that's true, and this person indeed is open for whichever reason, <clears throat> then it makes a lot of sense that this same person is able to, to say what is happening in the environment around. And if this goes also with the patient, and the patient is also experiencing it and able to pay attention to it, then you have the possibility of, of going beyond, um, beyond the immediate. and making estimations beyond, then you could perhaps say a master of game is, could it be perhaps, uh, well, is pathogenic if it's associated with wild game or with place, it's zoonotic. Um, it has certain environmental characteristics. These things already point to to some microbial pathogens, for some cases, not for everyone. And that's the reason I put and other spirits because you really you could ha- be having something which is much wider. But the important thing is that they are also making claims about specific <coughs> entities. So, for example, um, <coughs> this is from the Kuna, and this is Ispid Kortikit, and Ispid Kortikit is kind of a, a new player in, in Kuna mythology. He's um, an elephant spirit. We don't have elephants in Colombia yet. We already have uh, hypos um, because a drug cartel uh, imported them. And so, but we don't have elephants. Um, now, what they say is that Ispid Kortikit is is the owner of kaimans and of some fish, and he resides in certain eddies in the water. And is pitkortikit causes malaria, and this is interesting because effectively, well, malaria was introduced I don't know in the 16th or 17th century with the slaves from Africa. So when you try it, okay, how is how does it look? It looks. Like this. This is from um, Alcares. Um, this is a mola they, they have made from ispid from Now, these are the gamma- gametocytes of the annul- annular forms of the Plasmodium falciparum in the red cells. This is how they are modifying them. So perhaps it's not so far-fetched to say that they are seeing something which is affecting them a huge uh, moment of the population. Now the question is: Okay, how do you take it forward? And basically, that's what I'm, I'll be trying to do. Is what are they saying that microbiology or microbial ecology doesn't know about about microbes? And that's, I think, the most important point, because at that point you are not relying on what has been said. It's not post-factum, but you can actually contribute to the, to the debate and say something new. So, basically, what becomes visible through entoptic phenomena and through shamanic visions, if these are the same thing or not, are multitudinous entities that constitute us, microscopic and magnificent, translucent and scintillating images of our own selves, ourselves. Moreover, taking into consideration human visual acuity and the geometry of shadow formation, endoptic microscopy can be estimated to be sufficient to resolve or at least detect objects of one micrometer, which is the size of bacteria and small protozoa. The retina is highly exposed during systemic infection, and various byproducts of microbial metabolism trigger the disinhibition of endoptic microscopy. So, this is another thing I, I probably forgot to tell you. Uh, basically, entoptic microscopy doesn't only happen with hallucinogenics, it happens whenever you've got low levels of carbon of um, sugar, high levels of carbon dioxide, or when you are taking antimicrobials, actually a wide variety of drugs, but amongst them many antimicrobials, which most frequently are substances produced by another microbe. Mm. So in this case, you, if you wanted to pull it further, I would tend to say that that this might be taking advantage of of an immune reaction, of part of an immune reaction, but that needs further for the research. Now, the many-layered nature of the world might seem alien to Western humanism and more akin to religious notions. Yet, microbiology, through microbiology, we have come to understand that not only only that entities normally invisible to the naked eye inhabit the air, the water, and the earth, affecting their properties and dynamics, but also that we ourselves are microbiotas, Complex Microbial Ecological Systems in Constant Change. Now, that should resound a little bit with this forest within. And actually, that same title was used in a microbiological journal, I don't know, 40 years after Reichel Dormatov used it. Our mammalian cells are vastly outnumbered by a highly diverse community of microbes, mostly bacteria, comprising 90% of the cells in our body, These bacteria provide for roughly 98% of our working DNA. So basically, they are running the show. 2% only is is run by mammalian cells. Some of them, however, also produce toxins and predate upon us and upon uh, our other inhabitants. They are, therefore, pathogenic. They affect our behavior and transform our bodies the success of multiple microbial processes such as virulence requires the coordinated action of a multitude of microbes achieved through a dense exchange of signals which apparently is not devoid of self-interest and delusion. These are tricky. Um, and when I mean dense, is, uh, the last time I saw they were doing research on, on one, which is very important, and it was responsible for some... 4,000 different products that were running in our body. So just one kind of, of bacteria. And in, in the middle of this, it's, it's not always a nice working machine, but it's a machine that has its own self interest, if you are willing to grant that so far in animism. Thus, it is being suggested that microbes are highly social, both amongst themselves and in their intricate interactions with their hosts. For instance, our immune system, in collaboration with our (coughs) microbial guests, develops the capacity to recognize self and non-self molecules flowing through the body, acquiring a memory of encounters and of successful responses. This process has a complexity comparable to neuronal activity and is tightly connected with behavioral responses to such a degree that its means of communication have been hijacked by the neuronal system in order to deal with stressful situations. However, these channels of action, of communication and action, are not fully under the control of the host cells, as is readily apparent in the psychological expressions of disease. Now, um, another important feature of, of shamanism is that. It involves very important psychological aspects. And the t- diseases they are treating are epidemic, but they are also mental diseases. Now, serotonin, for example, uh, the first time it was found, it was found in the, in the stomach. And actually, uh, amoebas are big producers of serotonin and employ it for their own purposes. Uh, it works as a neuroreceptor. It's also very similar to the cytokines, which are kind of the, the communication means of the immune system. So how we get any communication at all is completely baffling because it, it, all, look, it all looks very much alike. And at the same time, it's very detailed. The perplexing features of the retina that afford a form of microscopy through an endoptic vision... Now, perplexing features of the retina afford a form of microscopy through entoptic vision. Entoptic microscopy allows the perception of the viewer's own retinal blood cells, microscopic particles, and occasionally microbes flowing through retinal capillaries. Entoptic microscopy is optimized under physical and physiological conditions that feature prominently as part of shamanic rituals. So for example, the the powder. is one of the techniques that you could use if you want to see things. The moving of a fan. It also works pretty well to focus on particular things. Uh, The crystal uh, is a technique that was employed a lot by von Helmholtz in the 1800s. So these techniques have things in in common. And what is interesting also is um, that it is not necessarily a, a one-way thing. Most of the people that were interested in the, these things, like Purkinie, uh were actually botanists to start with. So his his main subject was botanics. Also Poisier de, de Sauvage, who described some of these things before, botanists. These are people who had access to many of the the substances and to the information for those things. So their interests are not sprouting out of the blue. They are sprouting out of of contact. And that's... Well, perhaps you would have to substantiate it better just going through their archives because they are not claiming it explicitly. But they are the people who has access to, to the things. At least you can go that far. Those shamanic visions may be subjective means to engage with microbes, and it is recognized by biomedicine as the causal agents of many of the infectious diseases shamans claim to diagnose and treat, which are crucial players in the working balance of the tropical ecological communities they claim to manage. For instance, malaria, we saw the, the case. The labor of the shaman is to negotiate or combat these entities if necessary. So it's a diplomatic thing based on a subjective assessment of the issue. The possibility of observing cellular structures and microbes through entoptic microscopy substantiates shamanic epistemologies bridging the gap between shamanism and microbial ecology. Microbial ecology offers a view of the world highly coherent with shamanic ontologies. It portrays our bodies and environment as constituted by a dense, and fluid population of highly social entities which can affect our health and behavior and play an important role on the on environmental balance microbial ecology corresponds well with the medical specialty of shamans whose knowledge is derived from and closely related with wildlife management and the treatment of hunting related to diseases assimilating anemic souls to cells and masters of game to microorganisms does not imply a reductionistic view so long as we remain aware of the complexity of the cellular and microbial worlds and the potential insights offered by the subjective approach of shamans. Our sensorium, our organism, and its interaction with a wide variety of guests provides multiple potential modalities to explore our subjective interactions with the microbial world with the microbial world that constitutes us and the environment. Moreover, it is not necessary to relinquish symbolism, but perhaps we should consider the possibility that symbols and the mind or soul might not be abstract or contained in neuronal paths, but flow more freely and be widely distributed through the body and the environment. Well, thank you very much.